Uh, hey, everybody, it's uh, time for this episode will be a little bit different. If, if you've uh, if you've been here a while, we've done a couple similar to this. But it never like this, like some, some things have came up and might, you know, trickled up, bubbled up. And in all honesty, I said, oh, that's not a podcast episode. And these topics I said, hey, come explore me. Come look into me. Dig, dig a little deeper. And as sometimes I do, I said, yes, okay, let's let's look into this. Let's dig a little deeper. And it's something from my, mostly from my past. Uh, and it's a pretty neutral thing for most people, I think, or for a lot of people, a positive thing. But for me, I didn't have, I, like, uh, my memory of it was unsure. And so I wanted to go there. And usually when I go into these past things, I like to bring along my friend Bill who I just reunited with, my imaginary friend, Bill. So, Bill, could you come in here? Uh, Bill, oh, Bill, are you in here? Just kidding, Bill. I, I, I know you're here. That was just imaginary friend-based humor. Wait a second, Bill. Uh, sorry. Uh, okay, sorry. I just was making sure you were sitting down. Uh, do you need a set of headphones, Bill, and a mic? No. So I'm here with my imaginary friend, Bill, my imaginary friend from childhood, all the way back. Been a while. I know, Bill. I know it's been a while. Every time I bring Bill back on the show, I, I wonder, maybe this will be the day, though, Bill, because I could really use you. Really, I'm not kidding. Uh, oh, thanks, Bill took my hand in his hands. It's just the kind of thing an imaginary friend would do, Bill. Thanks, uh, you know, I could really use you at the time right now, Bill. So thanks. So oh, thanks for Bill's rubbing my back. Uh, and I kind of think he's rubbing yours too and taking your hand in his hand. It's nice. But Bill is my childhood imaginary friend. And again, Bill's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, neutral face, not a frowny face because you're trying to comfort me and soothe me. Thanks, Bill. But Bill is. Uh, Every time we reunite, which has been, I think, twice in the past uh, four years, they say, you know, Bill, this is it. We're going to spend a lot more time together. And, you know, that happens with some of my real friends that I've moved away from uh, that I don't talk to. I say, okay, this is it. After this phone call, I'm going to be on top of it in regular touch. Uh, so much better about it. And, and I don't. But, Bill, you know, I guess I don't have that excuse with you. And maybe, you know, maybe I just need the extra, maybe I just need to remind myself that you're here to soothe me, it, to be at my side, or to play with, too. Bill wanted me to say, uh, not just to comfort, but to play with, it, to play with, to imagine with, to look at clouds with, right, Bill? Yep, oh, yeah, that's good stuff, huh? It, to lie and listen to sounds, oh, yeah, those are good times. Well, Bill, you're, you don't have the pleasure of the uh, Sleep With Me listener who knows the title of the episode. And actually, I don't even know the title. I'm only guessing at the time. But a couple of things have come up. And I guess in the is I don't know if my mind has its own zeitgeist, Bill. Like, yeah, I know you wouldn't be. You, you, you'd be on it today. New in, newest, new in the zeitgeist, now trending. Uh, ideally for this day forward, uh, my best friendship with my imaginary friend, Bill. Yeah, we did do, we did, Shane and I did a lot of work with you, Bill. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I know that was, that was work. It wasn't connection, but, uh, 
Okay, I'm I'm here. I'm back here with you, Bill. And where was I? I was saying, I guess. Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. okay. Let's get let's get it all out there, Bill. Sorry, I haven't kept in touch. Uh, I probably needed you. Uh, so maybe that was keeping, or maybe you just use the excuse to get busy. I got to stay. How can I? How can I be in the moment if I'm in spending the time with my imaginary best friend from the past? Is that a contradiction? I'm living more in the moment now with my imaginary friend from childhood. It does sound like it makes sense, even though it doesn't. You're right, Bill. Bill, what was I talking about earlier? I, I totally forgot. Oh, this is so in the zeitgeist of my mind. Thanks, Bill. You really know how to tap someone on the knee, pat, pat someone on the knee. Thank you. So, so something's come up in the zeitgeist of my mind, Bill, the trending topics in my mind over the summer. And it finally pushed over the edge and said, come explore me. And longtime listeners of the podcast will know we'll get into this in shades here. Then I'm, and I know there are some listeners from this era, uh, but longtime listeners will know that I'm not a big fan of old music called oldies music, which would be the music of the 1950s in particular. Right, like Chantilly Lace. You're right, Bill. Uh, though I like Chantilly Lace, which I think we'll see. And I don't know if that's actually an oldie song or not. Yeah, this is where it gets missed. Yeah, yeah, I do like La Bamba, and I like the name of the Big Bopper. And, yeah, I guess it's a complicated, and, yeah, I like the Blues Brothers. I don't know if they're connected to the uh, uh, 50s, though, Bill. You're right, though. They do play into the tonight's topic, which I guess you already know. Uh, so, but I, so yeah, it's like a strange, I have a strange relationship, a strange, strained relationship with music in the 1950s, uh, which I'm just categorizing based on my own window, which is very narrow. So uh, when I say oldies, I guess I just mean the music my parents liked, and maybe that'll be the way it is for my daughter. And I said to myself, huh, this is interesting. And then recently... Uh, so then, Bill, earlier this summer, and I guess for us it was the spring when we were recording episodes about the Great New York State Fair. Oh, you're right, it was June. You're right, Bill, uh, that we recorded those. And we were talking about the free concerts to the State Fair, and Shana Na came up, and I knew that was like some sort of band related to 1950s music. And that there was a TV show that I may have seen as a kid, but I didn't really remember. And I remember, you know, I remember Bowser was the, he was the bass of the Basso Nova, whatever the person with the deep voice, and the tallest of the Shananas. And other than that, at the time, Bill, I didn't really remember. I said, "Oh, I don't know. That's too." There's something about these 1950s and things that. Uh, it's re- repelling me away. I'm noticing some sort of charge there, right, Bill? Right. So then what happened? So I had it in my mind then, and then my daughter went and saw a local uh, version of the musical Grease. And immediately from that point forward, insisted on singing and listening to the music of the, from the musical Grease uh, over and over again. And it brought me back to saying, hey, when did, have I seen, I mean, I remember the music of Greece, though some of it was a surprise to me, Bill. 
Oh, yeah, I should explain what Greece is. You're right, Bill. And then Shannon asked more for a slow reveal, though. Okay, so Greece was a musical that I believe came out in, like, in, I don't know when it hit Broadway. I guess we could look it up, but let me just give you my impressions. I think it was a musical on Broadway. Then it was a movie in the 70s, and it was starring John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. And it was a, a musical about that took place in the 1950s and kind of celebrated the musical genre and just the, the 50s experience. You, you, do you think I'm correct, Bill? Barely. You're right. I mean, but that's what I remember about it. I think I saw the movie Grease 2, and I'm not even kidding, like mostly. And I don't even know if Olivia... And then I did have a huge crush on Olivia Newton-John, and I also used to get Olivia Newton-John and Princess... This is might sound wild to some people, but Princess Di and Olivia Newton-John mixed up. I think just in my head, or they would remind me of each other and they would, one another, and they would give me that good feeling. Yeah, no, it wasn't a giant crush on Olivia Newton-John. Maybe, yeah, just if it was a very... I guess Bill, I don't know if I was I'm comfortable saying that I was just attracted to her, but I guess I'll use your words. Uh, I think it was more, but but so, but I didn't really watch the Grease musical, so my attraction didn't stem from that. Uh, and that maybe the first time I saw Grease probably wasn't when it came out. It was m- many years later, uh, after I'd seen Grease 2. You're right. And I'm not even sure. I can remember who the lead was in Grease 2, kind of. And then I can't really remember anything else. Uh Right, and then there was the, the okay. Let's let's take it one thing at a time, though, Bill. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I know you wanted to talk about The Outsiders, another movie I did see, but it, like uh, afterwards. Uh, so these weren't formative movies from my childhood. But like I think they would have been formative repeat movies uh, or whatever of my childhood, or formative experiences before I was conscious. So maybe I did see them. Uh, but I don't remember it. And then I've never seen that, Bill. This is another one in these movies. This We'll go into the 1950s revival, and we'll look some facts up there. But, uh, oh, so I didn't see Grease. You're right, Bill. Thanks for keeping me back on track. But my daughter started to talk about it, and I was actually surprised at one of the songs, uh, which it sounded like a disco song to me, which goes, Grease is the word, have you heard or something? But it has like this disco sound to it. And I said, oh, I always thought that was just a disco sound song. I really had no idea it was from the movie Grease. I didn't think they were saying Grease is the word. Have you heard? I thought they were saying like some disco word. Uh, and I just thought it was a song like you'd be. I, when I picture disco, I picture roller skating, uh, disco dancing. And so I could picture people roller skating and disco dancing to that song. Maybe because of people with the sweet moves at Golden Gate Park that I check out sometimes. But so, okay, so that's that, Bill. Uh, so Greece was reintroduced into my life. And I was, I don't know what ambivalent means, but I wasn't, I was like, okay, this is a good thing. She loves Greece. Let me try. And I'd say, okay, well, can you not sing that? And then as a parent of, like, I'd say, well, boy, that's some racy stuff, this Greece. What kind of behavior is this encouraging? And then I said, 
have become my parents' parents or something. What kind of well have I fallen into, Bill? And it reminded me that I have this complicated relationship with the 1950s. It wasn't burnt around in, in those eras. Uh, and I think because I was in the 80s, uh, maybe there was this strange relationship with the 80s and the 50s. Uh, but particularly the music. And so I said, okay, well, Grease feels like a, like a little bit of a parody of that music or a musical version of it. And I said, okay, I like that song. That one's not bad. Uh, so, so whatever, my daughter's been singing a lot of those songs. And so then I started to, I don't know if I, something, a third event happened, Bill. I, I, maybe you, maybe we'll remember talking about it. But then something else returned me to Sha Na Na. And like initially before I started this investigation, Bill, into this, this trip into the past, here's what I remember about Sha Na Na. There was a TV show. Uh, I guess it was on at some point when I was a baby or something. And I said, I think I remember watching that show. And then I said, I think I remember going to a Grease concert and not enjoying it. Uh, but that I could see Bowser up on stage. Uh, and what, okay. Oh, you're right, Bill. Better explain Shana in the 1950s. Okay. Maybe should we, should we dig into some, should we, should we go factual and then personal, Bill? Okay, so I'm going to bring you some facts now about the 1950s, the 50s revival in the 70s, based on some articles. So we're going to introduce some facts into here. But the premise right now is that I'm here with Bill, who kind of gives me some confidence in some things. And Bill and I have been working together on this research because they said, what is it with my relationship with Shanana that... uh, they say, oh boy, I need a little distance here. Like, I, I don't want to think about that. Like, it's like a, a strange, non intrusive thing that feels intrusive. And I say, what about this 50s music? Leave me alone. And even Greece, I say, okay, can you keep that Greece at a distance? Keep that Greece at a distance from me. Please keep that Greece off of me. Uh, no Greece lightning for me. I'm not going to go, go, you know, Greece is not the word I've heard. And so I just thought it was interesting. And, and, and when Bill's here, like when I went back and investigated clouds, it was able to be this healing journey with Bill. So I figured we could try to heal or not even heal, like maybe just walk into the past uh, uh, from an adult position of uh, security since I have my imaginary friend Bill here. Okay, so we have these three articles here. There's three articles that are here about the 50s revival. And this first one will give us an overview. It's from MeTV, and it's uh, by the MeTV staff of February 2nd, uh, 2016, and nine reasons the 50s were better in the 70s. So this is kind of a positive nostalgia about the 70s version of the 50s. Uh, in the 70s, there was a wave of nostalgia like never before, and people wanted to revisit the 50s, uh, and some of it was about the nif- nifty 50s. And uh, let's see, so we had uh, oldies stations, and this has a cover or picture from the movie American Graffiti. And we did have this, uh, this uh, I think we had this uh, record at my house, uh, and we kind of would play it. I guess I'd have to look up what's on there at some point. Uh, but then there was uh, oldies stations, which became very famous, I guess. Then there was American Graffiti, the movie, 
uh, coming of age, uh, it was take place. It's set in 1962, and it was a George Lucas movie. One of my friends loves this movie, and that might be why I haven't seen it. Is just to kind of frustrate him. And it was also a catalyst uh, for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, and it was very successful. And I, like I still haven't seen it, which is probably like uh, you probably should see it, you know. Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. I guess I could see if it's my daughter. It's PG, so maybe I could see it with my daughter. Uh, then there's a the movie ha- or the TV show, The Happy Days, which I do remember. Uh, and the Ron Howard, who is the lead character, I think in American Graffiti, is one of the main characters in Happy Days. Richie Cunningham, now beloved director. Uh, but when it came to fifties nostalgia in the seventies, uh, it came. This was a TV sitcom. And it followed the, mostly the Cunningham family and uh, Joni uh, and Richie and the parents. And then Fonzie was this cool dude that lived back behind their house, uh, play, played by Hen, Henry Winkler. And I don't really remember. Well, we don't want to get too deep into the happy days. Uh, but this really helped. Then Laverne and Shirley, which I would say... This I haven't seen, but I would bet it. This would age kind of well because of the brilliance. But I can't get too deep. Which was a spinoff. You should just do, do like a Laville Vazel Schmazelzebeck Incorporated. We're gonna do it. Uh, yeah, but it was uh, Happy Days was a, a spinoff. Laverne and Shirley it wasn't so much 1950s. So maybe that's why I have a positive view of it. And uh, that was a career maker. Like, uh, so another show to check out. It just, just just Google it and say, okay, Laverne and Shirley. Uh, then there was Grease, which uh, came out in 78. I guess that's what I was I guessing. I thought it was early 70s. And it was based on the 72 musical. It was a love story about two teenagers who grew up in opposite worlds. And the film was so popular that subsequent productions of the musical had to be altered uh, to include popular elements from the film. And this says it's the highest grossing movie musical of all time. Uh, then Elvis uh, was uh, a wave of nostalgia in the 70s, uh, who had a career re- revival after things not going great in the 60s. They say, of course, Elvis's resurgence was in part due to his enduring popularity and talent. Uh, but uh, if it wasn't for his 70s resurgence, he might have the same legacy he has today. Then this one I'm not familiar with, but it came up a few places. The Lords of Flatbush. It wasn't as popular as the other throwback films, but it was influential. It stars uh, then-unknown Sylvester Stallone and Henry Winkler. Uh, so... Uh, then Shanana, uh, which we'll talk about. We'll just skip over that. So that was the Me TV article, a little overview. Uh, then there's an article from theartifice.com. And uh, me, oh, maybe we should read this. Let's read that one third because uh, that's, uh, oh, I guess these are both kind of this way. So so this is good. So let's read the Artifice one next then. Uh, the Nifty Fifties, uh, an American myth in the seventies. Now let's see. Let me see if I can see an author here and the date of when this article came out. But I'll link to it. Uh, I'm not seeing anything on the mobile page, but it's from theartifice.com. 
uh, during the seventies, like people were under the, like it wasn't a great time and people yearned for a more relaxed, carefree life. Uh, and uh, people said, well, let's uh, encourage that nostalgia uh, to, uh, of the fifties to alleviate this tension. And uh, so the the invocation of 50s in pop music and film uh, suggests, you know, that people said, well, I'm kind of over the 60s or I didn't enjoy the 60s. And it was uh, spread to college campuses and uh, people were like taking 50s quizzes, uh, motorcycle jackets, ducktail haircuts, poodle skirts. Uh, Elvis, uh, Elvis, who was at uh, the peak in the fifties, uh, uh, then Greece uh, came out in the seventies, uh, happy days, uh, came out. Oh, this, this was the end of the seventies, 78, 78 and, uh, fifties nostalgia uh, kicked off in Woodstock. So we covered here right before Jimi Hendrix. And actually I watched some of the Woodstock movie or some film from this, uh, and this immediately changed my view of Sha Na Na right away. And I said, oh, goodness, this is going to be Bill and I are in for a journey. Uh, so I kind of read from this article and we'll come back to it. But uh, the sun came up on the final day and it was Jimi Hendrix waiting for the curtain call. Uh, the opening act was Sha Na Na, an acapella group that turned 50s revival, re- revival act. Uh, I guess we'll talk about the rest of it uh, uh, but they hit the stage, and uh, it was just just amazing. And then uh, Elvis Presley, as we kind of talked about, uh, so this is kind of, uh, I guess this is, let's see, 70s. Uh, Tom Parker had sanitized Elvis' persona and made Elvis campy. Uh, you could say that uh, this is Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, had the American value of camp- capitalism, and he became Vegas Elvis in the 60s and 70s. Uh, let's see. Then Greece, uh, which came out. Uh, uh, let's see. Greece is uh, deserves to be an American myth because it's a reminder of who we want, of who we want to be. Where the rules, there ain't no rules. Uh, and uh, this, uh, this opens. Love is a many splendor thing. Opens this movie musical with a marvelous, uh, soaring, inane sound. Olivia Newton, John is Sandy, and John, John Travolta's Danny have a summer romance. Uh, but then they run back into each other at Rydell High School, which is Danny's universe. Uh, Danny was the coolest greaser in town, and he was trying to avoid San, Sandy because he wanted to be tough as the leader of his group, the T-Birds. Uh, Sandy was determined to, to, to win her love back uh, with her crew, the Pink Ladies. Uh, and she figured out a way to sweep back uh, the leader of the Burger Palace Boys. Uh, this this article says Greece pulsates with the rhythms of the fifties. Uh, the music fits the characters. Uh, uh, Danny is love struck as uh, Sandy explodes on the scene uh, later on, and they sing "You're the One." Oh, that was song was from there too. "You're the One That I Want." I guess I kind of knew that. Uh, so it had everything that teenagers wanted. Uh, then there was happy days. These happy days are yours and mine. A jukebox was a symbol of the 50s, and happy days uh, played on that. Uh, well, it was a sitcom in the 70s. It was all about the 50s nostalgia. It was on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. 
and it should show centers on the Amer- all American Cunningham family, uh, Howard, Marion, and their two children, Richie uh, and Joni. Uh, their boarder turned a greaser, social good guy, Fonzie, better known as the Fonz. And Fonzie was there to kind of mentor Richie and kind of be an older brother type figure. Uh, he also tutored uh, Richie's friends, Patsy and Ralph. And later he had, yeah, so, so the, I mean, it was a popular show. Uh, the Cunningham family had the value of eating dinner together. Uh, Fonzie always appeared in leather jackets and with a motorcycle. He was an American individualist. And while people might have said he was a troublemaker, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't edgy like uh, James Dean or Marlon Brando. And Richie was always a good guy. Uh, Happy Day was, was born by two snowbound TV executives in Newark, Newark, New Jersey airport in 71. Uh, Michael Eisner and Tom Miller were looking for nostalgia, innocence, and morality by coming up with a family-oriented sitcom uh, as a distraction. Uh, then it talks about, so the nostalgia of the 50s is presented by Sean and I at Woodstock in 69. So it's an Artifice article, nice little article there. Then uh, this one's from uh, RebeatMag.com. And those weren't the days, the 50s revival, the 70s. This is by James Ryan, uh, February 24th, 2015. He starts with a quote by from Proust. Uh, Proust, Proust uh, remembrance of things past is not necessarily the remembrance of things as they were. Uh, you said it. And it says, by the end of the 70s, everyone liked it again. You know, people didn't like disco or punk or... Uh, you know, even the 60s, uh, so they had, you know, poodle skirts, uh, kind of the same thing we said, uh, which was created this nostalgia movement. It began as, almost as soon as the 70s because they started the old, oh, Dan Coffey started in Jerry Osborne, oh, Jerry Osborne, who was under the name Dan Coffey, uh, started K-O-O-L-F-M in Phoenix, and that was the all, first oldies channel. And then it emulate, was emulated by other markets, hitting New York in 72, WCBS. Uh, then in 72 was also the musical Grease on Broadway. Uh, and then all the, you know, the stuff uh, appearing in films like American Graffiti. Oh, the album had 41 original hits from the soundtrack of American Graffiti. And so it reintroduced uh, such artists as uh, Bill Haley, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, Went triple platinum, and uh, then they were still revisiting a decade when uh, uh, Gary Marshall offered a, a, a pilot to ABC, a new family in town, which they passed on. They did suggest it be reworked into a segment for the then uh, airing Love American Style under the title Love and Happy Days, and then. After American Graffiti took off, Marshall said, hey, let's work this into the show, Happy Days. And it was a moderate success. It was 16th place overall in the Nielsen's in 74. It was a one-camera on-set shoot. Uh, and when it, then it was became a three-camera show in front of a live studio audience. It was so successful. Then uh, Laverne and Shirley... Uh, which averaged a third overall for the season in the Nielsen's in its first season. It also spawned a 70s sitcom, Mork and Mindy. 
1974 saw the release of Stephen F. Verona's The Lords of Flatbush uh, with Winkler, Sylvester Stallone. And then in 77, the variety show shot on uh, named after the group we'll be talking about a little bit more. Hate the thing. Uh, this is a high watermark came in 78 with the release of Grease. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, well, it says two major theatrical releases. Uh, the bigger one, the one that went straight for the spirit of the decade was Grease. Uh, uh, so that was one. Then another one, American Hot Wax, a biop, uh, and Alan Freed, uh, uh, sent around a show at the Brooklyn Paramount. It had, uh, uh, Jay Leno, Fran Drescher, Lorraine Newman, uh, and performing was like Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Jaw Hawkins, Frankie Ford. In 79, the wave started to crest. Uh, Happy Days dropped to 17th. Laverne and Shirley couldn't break the top 30. Uh, a movie, uh, The Wanderers, uh, concerning some greasers, set in 63, including Ken Wall in his first role. Uh, Unhappy with folk music, uh, uh, came out. Uh, the question left behind in this article asks, what it, what was it uh, made, that made Americans run towards the fifties at that time? Anything we could see, it was, a uh, was a time of change. And so I like, I don't know, maybe that's like why the eighties revival, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's that as a intense of an eighties revival going on right now. It's just a more of an eighties appreciation because uh, a lot of us are like, oh, like uh, van- the vanilla version of the 80s is not uh, what we want to live in, you know. It's like, okay, there, yeah, I like synth music. Here's some things I liked about the 80s. Synth music, uh, neon. Uh, but you say, well, we could use a little bit more kindness and openness that we have now. Okay, so Bill, what do you think so far? Interesting, huh? Okay, let's check out this article here. Is this leads us to the fifties? This makes sense because I would like uh, so I was born in the seventies uh, uh, and then grew up in the eighties, and uh, so this article is uh, from GeorgeLeonard dot com. Uh, George Leonard, a PhD, wrote this. Shanana uh, and the Woodstock Generation. It's by George Leonard, uh, class of sixty seven, and Robert Leonard, class of seventy, at Columbia College today. Spring Summer Issue, 1989, page 28. And it starts with an editor's note, and this kind of covers the history of Shanana, that the Columbia Kingsmen, a student singing group, uh, they traded their jacket ties and rah-rah spirit for some more flash uh, and became Shanana. Uh, soon after their memorable Grease Under the Stars concert at Low Plaza, they shot to stardom. Uh, and they played at Woodstock, the Fillmore's East and West, and many venues in between. Uh, their success inspired the Broadway musical Grease, uh, uh, followed by the movie Grease, in which they appeared, and they eventually had their own television series. Uh, two, oh, this, so this is two of the founders. Holy mackerel, uh, I didn't know, sorry. Uh, they reminisce of the early days. So they, this is uh, their kind of memory of it. Interesting. Yeah, Columbia students of the 60s grew up knowing uh, that it was a major force in popular culture. Uh, they had Ginsburg and Kerouac uh, leading the beats, uh, the beat poets, uh, uh, Hart and Hammerstein. 
uh, Hart and Hammerstein were uh, giants for the modern musical. Art Garfunkel, uh, you know, one of the heads of folk rock. Uh, so it made sense that they were represented in Columbia, or Columbia was represented at Woodstock. Uh, and in the movie Woodstock, uh, and later held the record for the most encores. Uh, and the Kinks had to wait online, wait for them one time when they were opening or something. Uh, so Shanana started as the Columbia Kingsman, even after Woodstock, uh, during its uh, fame, during their famous uh, uh, Fillmore headliner. Uh, member, when members would drop out, they recruited new ones from Columbia, like uh, Scott Simon and John Bowser Bauman, the group's second leader. Uh, this was written in 1999, the 20th anniversary of Woodstock, and we found ourselves wanting to write not so much a history of Shanana, but something that would recapture that spring. As, uh, you know, there's a big time of change in the world. Uh, spring 1969... Uh, the glory that was Greece in Woolman Plaza, the first East Coast Greece Festival, and the Greece Under the Stars concert. Uh, before the Columbia Kingsmen went into rock and roll, there were no, no oldie stations and no theater rock. Uh, uh, groups still stood on the stage like the Beatles and sang their album, uh, though uh, a lead singer like Jagger might dance around. Uh, theater rock, that comes, that's interesting. Okay. Above all, there were no 50s. The 50s were still uh, accurately remembered for uh, it being uh, the area that they were. 80s without the glamour. Uh, the beats dropped out. Uh, you know, so, so it wasn't, it's, this is cool that they have a different memory of it. Uh, so 1969 was a turbulent year uh, uh, at Columbia and around the world. Uh, George Leonard's daily dining room handouts and twice-a-week-weekly spectator ads were revised uh, the 50s into a pre-political Eden. And uh, the Kingsmen were uh, very excited when, uh, after the glory that was Greece and Woolman, uh, uh, the, this kind of talks about, you know, just your college days, uh, a mythical world before politics, uh, so Sean and I grew up of a, out of a unique midnight bowl session atmosphere in the Columbia dorms. Uh, when George was a junior, he used to play a game that uh, Ed soon boosted into a national institution trivia. Uh, George, meanwhile, banded floor members into an underground film company, and uh, they, you know, they would film, they'd have uh, trivia contests, and the Kingsmen would sing uh, like songs like "Little Darlin'." Uh, they wore blazers and stood in a semicircle. And this is an interesting article, but it's pretty, like, I don't want to dig too deep. I didn't realize it was uh, that intense. Uh, so let's let's get into who is Sean and I, and then we'll get into my personal journey. So, Bill, I think Bill, uh, Bill's, uh, yeah, come on, Bill, put your head in my lap. So I put Bill's head in my lap. Uh, so Sean and I, according to Wikipedia, is an American rock and roll group. I remember their theater rock, uh, which I did not realize at the time. And uh, the song, the name of the song is taken from a series of nonsense syllables in the doo-wop hit, You Get a Job, uh, 57's hit by the Silhouettes. Uh, Billing themselves is from the streets of New York. And here's the thing. Okay, uh, before I go to the Wikipedia article, 
I guess I will go off topic. Uh, because uh, here's a couple of things I remember. Bill, oh, yeah, Bill's sitting up now. So my memory of Shanana was one. So my parents actually went to Shanana concerts, and it was uh, very out of character for them. Or at least I had this idea that they did. And I said, okay, my parents don't go to any concerts that I know of. Uh, they went to Shanana. And at some point I formulated it as more of like a, just like people dressed like greasers from the movie Grease. Uh, standing on the stage, I, I guess I kind of viewed it in a serious, I, I don't know why, I mean, maybe because it was from my childhood memory of like, uh, kind of like a cover band. I don't know, I really had this memory of it in some like serious non-fun way, which doesn't make any sense because even if you were covering the music of the 50s, and maybe it is just my objection to vanillification, like I said, well, I don't want to be into like a, I'm not into a, uh, idealizing a time that never existed. Uh, so I just had this memory. I mean, mostly of Bowser going like he used to these at the TV show. I think he would sing a good night song and he would do something with like his bicep in his hand and he had the deep voice and he was silly. And I remember laughing at that. And so I said, well, if they're in concert, I was just picturing, I said, what would that be? And I didn't really remember anything about the TV show other than that Bowser part. And so, I don't know, I guess I held some strange resentment or assumption about Shanana. And then I loaded up this Woodstock video. I mean, I read about it, I said, Gold LeMay, that doesn't sound like the Shanana that's in my memory. And then I saw when they, I saw their video from Shanana. And I mean, obviously, there was probably a lot going on at Woodstock, you know that people were feeling pretty good. And the members of Sean and I did, like, they were dressed, uh, I don't know, it was something bordering fun and campy without, uh, and maybe some people felt like it wasn't like uh, just celebrating the 1950s, yeah, but it wasn't making fun of it either. It was something, I guess, like, it was neither. And so, like, there was these dudes, like, there was dancers, like, dancing, like, their rears off in Gold LeMay. And then there was people, jam you know, there was the music playing. And there was just much more joy there than I had uh, anticipated witnessing. And uh, so that immediately changed my perspective. And I said, Bill, like, look at this. Can you, and Bill said, I can't believe it. Uh, look at that dancing. And then I also said, I still could, I guess I could see my parents at this. Uh, but yeah, so they would be danced according to Wikipedia and Golden May, Leather Jackets, Pompadour, and Ducktail Hairdos. And they would do a song and dance repertoire of classic, classic 50s rock and roll. Oh, simultaneously re reviving and parodying the mu mu music and the uh, 1950s New York culture. Sean and I also hosted a syndicated series, variety series, that ran from 77 to 81. And the current touring group uh, uh, features original members Donnie York and Jocko Marcinello and uh, Scott Simon. Uh, everyone else from the original band and the TV show has since departed. So, yeah, they started at... Uh, uh, Columbia as a Kingsman. Uh, then they started performing, and they, you know, they got this uh, conceived by George Leonard, a graduate student in humanities. Uh, they started performing in 69. 
kind of at the height of the counterculture. And before, they went on stage before uh, Jimi Hendrix. And they had this 90-second appearance in the Woodstock film, which sparked uh, a lot of this, according to this article, uh, this nostalgia movement. And they, they, since then, they've like pretty much uh, been touring for the past uh, however many, 30-plus years. And they also hosted the TV show, which so then I also watched the TV show, and then I, I didn't remember it. Uh, but once I started playing, I said, holy cow, like, uh, I definitely remember. She, it was like a skit show with music. Uh, so different than Saturday Night Live. At that time, there was Hee Haw, which was a comedy skit show, I think at the same time. And I guess at some point before that, I never saw a laugh in, uh, even when it was on Nick and Night. I, I guess I had the same feeling like with uh, Sean and I said, I'm not going to watch that show. But I think that was very similar and I didn't really watch very much Hee Haw, but I think that was another syndicated variety comedy show. And they had a lot of great guests, and I did watch some clips on YouTube of that, and I said, uh, oh, wait a second, like, uh, they would have a cabbie who would drive in the musical guests and crack jokes, and there was a lot of singing and dancing, uh, and it seemed like a fun show. I said, oh, I guess I could see myself as a, like, uh, whatever, two- or three-year-old watching this. Uh, like, uh, and they would have comedy songs. So I guess it makes sense that, uh, as a kid, I liked, uh, then I found my way to a Dr. Demento. Let me just see what I can look up about the, uh, thing. Cause then I interviewed my parents. I, I mean, I didn't tape it cause it's a sleep podcast. Uh, but according to Wikipedia, the syndicated series had 97 episodes, uh, it was produced by Pierre Cassette, uh, distributed by Lex- Lexington Broadcast Services Company. The episodes were 22 minutes, and they played hits from the 50s and the 60s, along with comedy skits. Uh, it had a nostalgic theme, but with a contemporary twist, uh, and even popular acts from the 70s. Uh, John Bowser Bauman would close out each show by saying goodnight and grease for peace. And then they would sing "Good Night, Sweetheart, Good Night," uh, the closing theme song. This was what I watched before I went to bed. Uh, they would also announce as in character the show has been previously recorded, uh, so it, it might not be around. So that's a little bit about it. But so then I asked my parents. They said, "Okay, Mom, like, uh, what's with the, like? Uh, did you guys really go see Shauna and I in concert?" Uh, like, did you go to see Shanana? Tell me about Shanana. And she said, the first thing she said, I think we saw them like five times. And then I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. And she said, yeah, I think it was a tradition for when I was, when I was pregnant, I would go see Shanana. And they toured pretty regularly, I guess. So that was possible. My mom had six kids. So that was also possible. Uh, and, and two two were twins, so that is possible. The numbers do line up. Uh, but so, what are they saying? So I said, okay, like, uh, tell me more. And then she kind of said, well, I remember going when, she goes, I think I was pregnant with you, was the first time we went to see you, and it just seemed like something random or something fun. And so they went with my dad and some of my dad's friends uh, or their friends or whatever, or maybe his coworkers. And it was at this uh, war memorial theater in Syracuse. And I guess it was very cold. And my mom was very pregnant. 
and they get, they were sitting right up front, and they said it was a great time, and that everybody was, my mom was very, very pregnant with me. So maybe this was the time I said, this is just too much jostling and music, which they said that she they piled a bunch of jackets on her belly. Oh, maybe it was from the noise. I didn't get it. I said, oh, okay. And I didn't ask, I was like, is it because it's cold? But maybe it was because it was so loud at the concert. Uh, they piled jackets on my mom. That would make sense, like if they were sitting up front. And then my mom said, yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. And we probably went every time, like, because they played a lot at the free concerts at the New York State Fair. So that would make sense. Uh, and she said, yeah, we liked it. And, yeah, we remember watching the show. And then I interviewed my dad about it. And he gave me a little more contextuality, like if somebody born in that era in, in, in of those generations was that. Uh, uh, so, like my dad said, well, he grew up in the Bronx in New York City. And he said, one of the things, he goes, there wasn't a lot to do. And he goes, this was like when he was a kid, the era when transistor radios, portable transistor radios came out. And so it was this new thing. And he said, well, you know, if you saved, and my dad said, he, he was like, I always had a job. And he goes, so I saved my money and I had my own radio. And he goes, you know, we lived in these, uh, I guess you'd call them like housing, uh, like like my parents lived in Parkchester. It's a lot of like apartment buildings all, all around one another. And my dad did. So he said you would go out and uh, you do, you know, he goes all around the neighborhood. You'd have groups of kids or like hanging out, listening to the radio and singing. And he said that was like a pastime you did to have fun. And he said, you know, so him and his friends would like sit or he goes, different groups of people would be doing it. And I said, this is like a Scorsese, like just a, the, the, the nice part of a Scorsese movie, you know, before any of the action. But he said you would sit around and uh, him and his friends would sit around, listen to the radio and sing songs. And he said, you know, a lot of the songs of that era were these, uh, I forget the word, like harmonies, I guess, like where almost like acapella, you could sing it and there'd be all these different, like, uh, low, and I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I was like, holy cow, Dad, have you seen, uh, I forget the names of the movies about the, the acapella movies. Uh, but uh, so, in uh, what, oh, I just almost had it in my brain, but uh, sing, not sing off, but but so he said, yeah, that's what we like to do. And he goes, so it makes sense that, uh, it would be such a popular, he goes, that was like uh, one of the things we love doing is listen to these old songs, singing along. And he goes, that was a joyous time. You know, that was like a joyous, fun pastime we all had, especially, you know, in the summer, uh, you know, you'd be out of your apartment and you'd be out there and you had this freedom because you had the radio. And so he said, yeah, there was, a, he goes, then with this revival with the Shana and stuff, he said, uh, it was just cool because it was like, oh, yeah, I remember singing. And he goes, you know, that was like just the music we liked because uh, all these voices were in harmony in these different ways. And then, yeah, his memory was similar to my mom's. He said, yeah, we got like a goo goo. He goes, I don't know if it was because she was like pregnant to celebrate or he goes, but we went to this concert, which kind of seems out of character. But I guess this is before my parents had kids and especially me and I was a lot of trouble. So. You know, they were out celebrating, and, and they, he, he also remembered them piling all the jackets on my mom's belly. And, uh, the, yeah, the, like, uh, 
So I think it's interesting, Bill, like uh, that we came back here. I think I learned a little bit more about my parents. Uh, and I also learned like, oh, what I remember, like, uh, I mean, I don't think I'm going to, especially now that Shana and I, is something that's now nostalgic for Shauna. Nah, I don't know, but I, I could watch the TV show maybe a couple times, Bill. And now that I realize that it was more fun and less serious, I guess sometimes I get serious, uh, Bill. Yeah, and then I usually I should I should consult with you more often, uh, and just have you hold my hand and sit here with me, and say, yeah, it's okay to look. It's interesting to when you get curious to look back at things and say, uh. Huh. Isn't it interesting? And, uh, yeah, it's okay to go back there and say, well, I, I had mixed feelings about that. I wonder why. So thanks for being here at my side, Bill. And thank you listeners. Uh, uh really interesting journey. I'm glad you came along with me. Uh, good night.